Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen O'Sullivan and I am the host of this show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders and experts in the field of leadership of self and others, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past potential fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. We want you to be you, to be at your best and to show up in the most authentic way. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello, everybody. I hope you're doing very, very well. I've just come off a conversation with a group of leaders, and we realized that at some point we took quite a bit of time to focus on day-to-day -day fundamental behaviors, or you could also call it manners. We were talking about things along the line of saying good morning when you pop into the office, when you meet someone in the elevator, um, saying goodbye, saying thank you, looking into someone's eyes, or and or having a genuine interest in others. When was the last time you sat down with a person in the organization and you asked this question, how are you really doing? How are you feeling? And then you actually listen to the answer. These fundamentals are so important when it comes to human relationships, when it comes to collaboration, and when it comes to feeling safe at work. And yet, these are also behaviors that are highly underestimated and not necessarily always demonstrated, in particular in our work lives. So therefore, I thought, what a great opportunity to talk to a specialist in the field of communication about things along the line of open communication, having and sharing a real interest in others, behaviors that demonstrate you are not a jerk, basically. And that's how she writes about it in her book as well. And how can we be more open with one another in order to get the best from one another, in particular in times of change, in times of ambiguity, which seems like the new normal. So how can we show up for one another in the best possible way so that we can get challenges overcome so that we can solve problems more openly and actually learn a lot from one another. And here we go. I'm today talking to Laura Grandall, and we are talking in particular about her book, Working with Humans, that I can highly, highly recommend. She founded her management consulting firm, Slate Communication, in 2009, and she is a real communication expert. But for over 30 years, she has worked in and consulted with industries that include manufacturing, journalism, hospitality, academia. 15 of those years were spent in managing teams. Her work is dedicated to helping people within organizations discover and develop foundational management and communication skills. And the background skills we assume everybody has, but I rarely discuss. And I mentioned the book, Working with Humans Already, and Laura shares the essential but generally ignored tools needed to communicate, manage, and lead with the quality that most workplaces are lacking, and that is humanity. If you want to enjoy a really energizing 
and to some extent humorous conversation, well, then stay tuned and have a listen to the upcoming episode. Enjoy. Hello, Laura. Welcome to today's show. Hello, Kathleen. How are you? I am very well. It's Friday and indeed I'm saying happy Friday. <laughs> How are you? It's post-Thanksgiving for you. Um, how has everything been? How has the last week been in particular? The last week has been good, has been busy, has been celebratory, has been full of friends and family and travel. And and I'm really glad that it's Friday and I'm, I'm back at home. <laughs> it's really nice. Yay! Yay! My own space. Nobody's huh? chatting at me. No expectations by mine. <gasps> no, not right now. Not in this moment. It's perfect. Right now we're just doing this. You know what? Actually, uh, you mentioning traveling earlier on and mm -hmm. kind of um, traveling with your mom and traveling to yeah. your mom and so on made me think of communication within the family. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and my family is chaos around Christmas and all the expectations run high. I'm pretty sure it's not just my family that experiences that. Mm. Uh, communication is very, very heated and a time of the year that should be so calm and lovely yeah. and, you know, loving as well, suddenly becomes frustrating, full of conflict and all sorts of stuff is happening. How do you experience that? It's <laughs> all of those things and more. But, the, uh, <laughs> but I think one of the, one of the best things that I did a couple years ago, because it, there was just so much chaos, especially with clients too, because then clients are having the same experiences with their family and everything. But for me, what I just did, I actually did um, in, <laughs> I made a Google calendar for holiday preparation. I am not that organized, which is what makes this even more hilarious. But I, starting about uh, the 1st of October, I just started putting little reminders in like, remember that people start to get a little twitchy as we move into November, just as a, uh, you know, just as a reminder. And then basically from the week before Thanksgiving in the US through to New Year's, I just give everyone a wide berth. Just I try to remember for myself that everyone's a little stressed out. There's a lot of expectations. There's a lot of planning. There's a lot of hecticness. And everybody is bringing not only what they're doing for their own family, but their memories from their childhood and everything's flowing into every interaction you're having all the time, especially if there's like a Christmas carol or any type of play, play, there's music playing in the background. There's all this, all these psychological aspects of the holidays that we don't know about. So I just try to really remain calm. And then in my own family, we just really try to deal with um, holidays by over-communicating. It's not that we it's perfect. We get snippy with each other and all those things, but just remembering that, okay, wait, what did you really, what was your meaning behind this? Or I'm confused or let's reiterate because there's just so much, there's so many opportunities for miscommunication during holiday. And I think just, I kind of remember that everybody's just a little, everyone's just a little off and moving too fast in that whole time. Yeah. Moving too fast Christmas or, or the festive season, whatever yes. festivities you are all celebrating. Yes. It's literally rushing past us. I was yes. thinking about that this morning. It was my son's birthday this week. It's mm -hmm. my husband's birthday next week. We are heading to Christmas. I'm doing something called work, <laughs> running a business. 
<laughs> that. And <laughs> there has been a lot happening. And I realized that I have so far not paid enough attention to, you know, Christmas market opened and did we take a spontaneous stroll across the market? Um, did we chill out and, or did I chill out instead of thinking, what do I need to prepare next and organize for this next birthday and so on and so forth. And my biggest worry is that my parents come to visit today. And the first thing they will say is you haven't decorated much for Christmas this year. No, honestly, <laughs> I didn't get my head around it yet. Yeah. <laughs> didn't have any time or energy for it. I didn't take it. It yeah. wasn't of my highest priority, but yeah. still I'm worried about this, right? That's right. And now to manage my emotions slash communication to stay cool, calm, and collected in yeah. the moment is, oh, you know, it is what it is. It's a real challenge. And I do it, it in work every single day. Yes, exactly. And I and it's so tricky, I think, with parents and children. And you know, you're trying to create something new for your family for, you know, and Christmas magic and having everything ready on the first and have all the boxes mm-hmm. open, you know, strung up everywhere that you want them to be. But I think that's where if you have sort of just a connection to how you do want it to go, not in the idealized sense, like, oh, I haven't had time to do that. I want to get to it. That's important. Or maybe it's not this year. Who knows? But just being able to sort of ground to your own desire in in this moment, like, I wasn't that interested. I will be interested this weekend, maybe, but I'll get to it. It's all right. But that's really, that's a stretch when there's all of these other people and opinions and mm-hmm. <laughs> expectations. And talking about those expectations, I think, is something that families should do more of, <laughs> just like we should do more at work. Just like, how do you want it to go? When your parents come, what are their expectations? Why are they there? What would meet them? Or even why would I be too bothered is perhaps a harsh word, but why am I feeling so impacted by not being perfect in this moment? You know, meeting mm-hmm. those expectations. Sometimes expectations are simply not met. We have different point of views. And it's fine. Mm. Or, or also we just have different expectations. Yeah. I know that where we get gummed up, either in families or at work, is that we don't make those expectations explicit. We assume them all and we project what we think someone else's expectations will be based on habit or familiarity or just general assumption rather than saying, how do you feel about this? Really? Here's how I feel about it. What do we want to do? And that leads us so nicely into the workspace, uh, which is your speciality. When I came uh, across your book and congratulations to it, working Thank you with very much. humans, I just thought, oh my God, that's so needed. What gave you the idea of writing this specific book? Well, this specific book came about over iterations of years, but the title and the and the fundamentals that I talk about in the book of the skills that we don't really, everybody needs and nobody talks about, right? And that we don't know we need to be as fundamentally clear on some essential tools of how we interact with one another. When I started my consulting business about 15 years ago, I would like to use a lot of humor in 
how I interact with people, mostly just because it can warm up a crowd quickly. <laughs> you know, if I'm doing I'm doing workshops, as every anybody who does this work knows. But I used to ask, you know, anybody here work with humans to just to get people to engage early? And my response was always my condolences, you know, because it's just we're so fabulous, but we're such a bummer. So, so, uh, so frequently people are so great and their solution, they are, we are the solutions to our own curiosity, to our own problems. And also to the point about holidays, we can be really annoying. So <laughs> we have to work with each other, which is a gift. And in order to do it well, we need to actually get good at some, some fundamental things. And that was really my key driver to connect with you as well those fundamental things yeah. I worked with a group of leaders yesterday and what I often talk about and what we then discuss together are fundamentals such as I say good morning when I come to the office or when I walk through the office yes. I say good evening um, or, or goodbye or whatnot I say thank you basics and quite often mm -hmm. leaders would challenge me and say why do we even talk about this? Aren't these just basic manners? Right? Yes. Why do we need to talk about it? And that's the question I'm going to pass on to you. Why yeah. do we need to talk about it? Well, I, I believe that we need to talk about them because they have become that their result, the result that we get from having common courtesy toward one another, the result being we have connection we've been acknowledged, our humanity has been witnessed just by saying hello or good morning or thank you very much or good afternoon or good evening, whatever that may be, just acknowledging the people. We expect people to pay attention at work to each other, to the product that we're creating, to the experience we're creating. But without that fundamental connection of something as, as seemingly simple as saying good morning to someone, we disconnect so fundamentally from the fact that we matter to each other. And without that common courtesy, you miss a huge opportunity to build trust, to build knowledge of one another, and to just build, you know, everyone talks about teamwork and how oh, you have to have a great team. If you're not saying good morning to your teammates, you might be kind of a jerk. Why do we have to talk about it? Because it's how humans work. And fundamentally, manners are, are the social cues that help us maintain sort of the traffic lights and, and maneuverability system of how we work respectfully with one another. We need to talk about it because I don't know if you've noticed, but things are a little weird out there in the world right now. And mm. everyone could, could, could kind of benefit from a little friendliness in consistent ways. So if you don't mind talking us through sure. that in a little bit more detail, right? Sure. That if those basic fundamental manners are missing, yeah. it builds a disconnect. So maybe neuroscientifically, sure. <laughs> what is happening there that mm -hmm. it comes to that disconnect? And then also, what are the risks of this disconnect? Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that we can all kind of assume what might be happening, sure. but it still is important from my perspective to highlight it and to uh, encourage people to think about it ever so more deeply. Okay, so from uh, let's let's look at 
a couple of things. And let's look at it personally and in, at work. Let's say your parents are coming today, correct? Mm-hmm. They walk in the house and don't say hello to you and don't talk to you and carry on and put down their suitcases and do whatever. And they just don't engage. What is your reaction? Disbelief, surprise, worry, self-doubt, wonder, all of that. Perhaps at some point, anger, frustration. And what if they talk to other people in your home, but not you? A complete heart. I'm excluded. Something is wrong with me. I might have said something wrong or whatever the reason might be. Yes. So now you walk into a workplace and nobody says hello to you. All those similar things of hurt, of confusion, of am I, is it me? Have I done something wrong? It adds a layer of stress by not, that lack of connection, by, by being excluded, by being um, unwelcome, essentially. So from, you know, neuroscientifically, there's so many such, there's so many things about how friendliness is actually an evolved an, a matter of evolution on how, you know, so there's a there's a wonderful new book called Survival of the Friendliest, how basically we've evolved to connect and work well together. It helps us, it helps our brains, it helps like when you think about engaging with someone from a, an eye contact level or you get a warm handshake, that thing of are we shaking hands, are we acknowledging someone or whatever the manner is, the courtesy, the depending on, on your cultural norms, obviously where you are in the world, how are you greeting someone? It's a way of creating a bond and creating safety in, oh, okay, I'm welcome and I'm in the right place. It can seem formal, oh, it's just something we're supposed to do. No, there's good reason from an emotional regulation standpoint. There's a good reason from a just a cultural norm standpoint that helps us be able to say, I'm in the right place. And it's the beginning of psychological safety within a group. And manners is one key topic and chapter you focused on in your book. Yeah. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, thank God, someone is highlighting it. You know, (laughs) we might sometimes be overcomplicating communication, but it starts there with those basic manners and behaviors that are crucial. And, and yet on your website, you say as well, thinking about the skills, basically, that no yeah. one thought you would need. Yeah. And yet these are so fundamental. So what, what is it you are observing in the world of work when it comes to communication that motivated you to say, OK, I really, really need to focus on that? Well, I think about it, you know, when I started studying organizational behavior and, and education and cognitive neuroscience, I was just really interested in how adults learn to work best together. I'm fascinated by how people learn and how people get great ideas and then go and do something with them. Let me back up a little bit. My early professional career, I started out in the hospitality world. And that's where my corporate experience was. So there's a lot of conversation about how you greet one another because... (laughs) you know, high-end properties, any type of property, but you're rated based on, you know, you keep your stars and your diamonds in your rating if you have consistency in how you interact with guests and how you interact with each other. So that was sort of in my, how I think organizations should run, right? That was sort of my disposition. 
But when you start looking at the leadership, any leadership literature, and we're talking about leadership, you have to, you know, lead with empathy and have a commanding presence and use your influence and be a good mentor. And that's all true. Those are all really true things that we need to do. But what does that stand on? What are the foundations of how you go ahead and do that? And when you think about things like people are told, well, just speak more confidently or just know what you want to say and then just say it or what, whatever it is you're being told as a, a growing manager, as a leader, being demonstrative. Okay. But how do you make an initial connection with a group? How do you let someone know that you're interested in being of help? How do you let someone know that you are actually the person who is the authority on a topic? The fundamental manners of introduction, of engagement, of saying good morning, of saying please and thank you, of letting someone know that you have confidence enough in yourself to connect in a deliberate way with someone that's the foundation of all those kind of basic social skills are the foundation of good leadership development. And what I was noticing with my clients is that so many of those things were assumed and never discussed, but that's often where people stepped on each other's toes or unintentionally offended each other or just caused more strife simply because they weren't having good manners and didn't know what they were for that culture. So that's sort of where that impetus of saying, we actually need to go back and learn and openly discuss these things that feel like they're obvious. Well, yes, they're obvious, but if we don't talk about them, they aren't going to be replicated and we won't know how important they are. So I wonder what might be a pushback you're going to get when you talk about those fundamental manners. So when you say they are often expected or assumed, but not necessarily lift. Right. What do people say? I think if I go in and say, let's talk about manners. That's not how I start with people. That's There are people who teach etiquette. There are people who do that very specifically, especially when you have, have clients who are traveling internationally, who are going into very culturally different environments, what then the one that they're anchored in, then they just assume people don't need to know that they aren't going to have any interaction with clients that are in a different culture. If I start there, people often say that's not important. But when I get called in to work with leadership teams, management development, executive coaching, what comes out when you listen to the problem of I can't get people to deliver work on time, or the bench strength in our senior leadership is really thin, or we have a lot of people who are very good at product development, but very poor at mentoring, whatever that may be, the theme is all is often there is a lack of clarity around the assumptions of how people are going to interact. And when we can say, oh yeah, we don't no one does something the same way as far as how we greet each other. Let's use that. How are you expected to behave in a meeting? How are you, have you talked about what some norms are in your, in your operation about how you interact about courtesy? The answer 
more frequently than not is no. Well, people just know how to do that. To which I say, if people know how to do it, why aren't they doing it? And my the example that I give in the book, just because I feel like it's the most commonly <laughs> problematic and, and aggravating for people is an easy way to start conversations about expectations, especially around seemingly simple behavior, is talking about what it means to be on time. Because everybody's got a different definition. Mm. And I mean, if I, if I say to you, Kathleen, if I say I'm going to meet you at one o'clock for something, when will you show up? Would you be right there at one? Most of the time. So we'll be there at one, sometimes perhaps a few minutes before that. Okay. But not some people, Right. And some people would say, oh, I'll be there 15 minutes early. Or somebody else might say, oh, if I'm there within five minutes, that's fine. But when we don't discuss that, I mean, do you have a friend who is chronically late? And I always give her an hour or a different time <laughs> that's an hour earlier. So she will be there on time in the end. Yeah. Yeah. And those kind of things, if we just don't talk about them, then everyone's frustrated. Like, oh, this guy is always <laughs> late or, oh, or you don't have to be here this early. Like, go do other things, whatever it is. But if you don't even have that conversation, you can build resentment because there is projection onto, we then start telling ourselves stories about why this person is 20 minutes early to everything or why this person can't be on time to save their neck rather than just saying, what is your definition? And do you know that this is important to us? Because then when I talk with, with companies that are like, no, we don't need, you know, manners, who needs how much time have you spent complaining about somebody being on time? I mean, then then it's just, a, it's math. How much time do you want to spend being frustrated with your colleagues? If it's an hour a day, what is your hourly rate? Okay, then you've spent your money <laughs> being frustrated with people rather than having a conversation that then can factor into the success of the work for leadership development with management understanding of what the foundational behaviors are within an organization. When everyone can be on the same page, essentially it allows people to have the same on-ramp behaviorally. If people are being courteous, if you know how that it's an expectation, let's say that you say good morning to people when you show up, then that lays the foundation for other work that sounds fancier around how to be a influential leader or how to be X or Y to demonstrate that you are successful. That's important. But if you can't say thank you to someone, I'm going to say that you're not that great in the leadership department. And that's just, that's opinion, but I've also seen it true. The people who miss the fundamentals have a hard time hitting really succinctly hitting their goals and getting people to follow them. Actually reminded me of a saying in a small part of Germany mm -hmm. where some people say, if I don't moan, then that's praise enough. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, seriously. You can't be serious about you this. Can't. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's so important that you say thank you, that you focus on the successes, that you see what people are doing well and you are able to express it. And then I often say you can you can use the example of children. Not everybody wants or has children, obviously, so that might not work. But think about your best mate. Right. And they have been truly supportive. They are there for you, have been friends for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Now they have been successful in a certain field. And you just don't say anything. Mm -hmm. And often I ask the questions of what would you do? Oh, I would congratulate them. I would be really happy for them. I would, you know, say, well done, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what stops us doing that in the workplace? Well, in the workplace, I think there's there's so many things. A, if it's not normal, that's where leadership really needs to model and anyone can model it. You demonstrate your leadership as a person who says, it's important me to say thank you and do that. And it's amazing when you just start saying thank you or saying hello, or people notice. And then it's very, it's it's the best, con- it can be depending on the culture, but more often than not, and what I've seen with my clients, more often than not, it's the best type of contagious. People remember they can calm down enough to be human with one another, to be friendly, that it doesn't take any more time to say thank you. And the, what you get, what the, 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 not moaning, <laughs> the not moaning is praise enough, what you get in return is goodwill. What you get in return is predictability. What you get in return is shared trust. Those kind of things are, um, I think we, I think we're not doing it right now as much because we think it takes too much time. Ooh, tell us more. I can't possibly, I don't have time to say thank you. I, they don't need that. Really? It takes time yourself. Thank you. I think it's a perception shift of what we are valuing culturally. And part of the reason about working with humans, the whole point of these fundamental skills that I've talked about in the book is they are tools to help us connect to our humanity. If you make it a priority to say thank you to someone, then you are acknowledging their work, seeing what they've done, witnessing them, and to be able to slow down enough to say, ah, yes, it's the people who are doing the work. They are not their productivity. It's so interesting. I do organizational behavior work and leadership development and try strategic communication for organizations. And the busyness that we have around what we're expected to do and produce has been so alienated from the manner in which we are expected to do it that it's just really depressing when we think about, I don't have time to say thank you. What? Why? Then our prior our priorities culturally are askew, if that's true. And our priorities individually might benefit from being re-examined. And, and for me, and why I outlined the tools in the book the way I did, and starting with how do you want to feel, how do you want to feel true to your own character? Does it feel good to you to not say thank you to people or to not be acknowledged by others? How does it feel? So many people talk about, and 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 you have interviewed so many people, Kathleen, who have said, and, and yourself, and I went through this too. I was doing work 
and suddenly I didn't recognize my own behavior. Going back to the fundamentals of how we are socially interacting to, with each other by being kind, being well-mannered, being of help, having pride in what we do is a way to, to reclaim who we are and who we want to be on an individual and then an organizational level. And sometimes we can fall into the space, as you just highlighted, where we literally feel a little bit lost. Yeah. And of who am I really? I, in my case, and indeed I spoke about that before, I've played a role of how I should be yep. meeting potentially expectations that were all in my head, really, mm -hmm. um, that I completely sort of suppressed who I was really being. Mm -hmm or a big, big part, an important part of my identity, right? Yeah. And the thing was that the moment I took myself out of that system, the moment I gave myself the space, the joy and the kindness around me to fully embrace myself, mm -hmm. and that was a journey that didn't happen overnight, The mo that moment I showed up so differently at work. Yeah. I made far more time for manners, for these communications, for conversations, for human behavior. Yeah. And suddenly I was more successful. Yes. And way. how did it feel? Like, how did it feel oh. personally to you? I always use the word, and I'm pretty sure listeners will be bored of it by now, liberating. Yes. Easy. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Joyful. Playful. We talked, I think, about goofiness. I was yeah. being goofy. That is a part of me. Lovely. <laughs> no? Yeah. And that when you get that, that space to go, whew. Also, when do we think that we have to pretend to be so formal mm. and rigid and inhuman, impenetrable, non-emotional, non-expressive, non-joyful, non-playful, when we think about you have a success at work, like let's say a project goes really well, it's really fun. Like, wow, that was great. And to have that sense of, of joy and interest and celebration by being able to just connect with other people from a very foundational place of, oh, I could just be myself with you. It's so much more fun. It's so... It's so much more satisfying when we take off the that false rigor. And I think that can sometimes sound, you know, when people think of manners, they think of formality. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, which fork am I using? And am I sitting up straight? <laughs> Is my shirt tucked? Whatever, whatever people associate with manners. It doesn't have to be formal. They just need to be consistent and honor the, the yourself and the people that you're with. And then you can move around the space much more joyfully, much more playfully. And that that's really, really satisfying. And that and that can, you can have great manners and have pride in your work and be helpful and be really goofy. It's totally fine. It's way more fun. How are you being playful and goofy when you work with the leadership teams you work with? Last time I, I remember we spoke when you were just arriving in Vermont working with, I think, a group of C-suite leaders. Yes. So how does playfulness and goofiness show up? One of the things for me is that, and this is a fundamental thing, often I show up just by acknowledging everything that's horrible. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't sound, without making light of it. Like if people are in a, a tough spot or they're, um, I've got a group of people who are doing a huge, huge relaunch 
of a whole portion of their business right now. It's very stressful. It's a big, big project. And there's so much concern. Are we going to be on time? All it, And I could just feel the weight of all, all of the stresses that were not being made explicit, a lot of projection, a lot of assumption. And to just come in and say, well, let's just write down all the stuff that's horrible. Let's not pretend it's not there, but let's get it out. Let's put it, let's put it up on a wall. Let's talk about what's working. And then let's just see sort of the 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 ridiculousness of how big it is. And I don't say that to make light of it, but this is a huge thing. Let's just call it what it is. And then do that with a little levity in our attitude, knowing that it's important, knowing that it's that it is going to be important for stakeholders, for whatever it may be. But let's just bring a little lightheartedness to our attitude. And then when people can actually speak to the problem as a person, speak to their task, speak to whatever it is, then I think what I notice is that people, like what you've just said, they feel a little more open. They feel a little more liberated to just be able to acknowledge what's so. Then they can bring their personality into the conversation. They can bring their humanity. And I can almost feel the root, like the tension in a room can deflate because that's a way that everyone sees that they all have the same concerns. They all have the same interests. They all have, they each bring a different perspective, but everybody really is trying to work cooperatively together, trying to be imaginative, have a good time, feel proud of what they're doing. But it doesn't have to be as heavy. And that's one part to step into this space of lightness. Yeah. But I come back to the question, how would I experience you and your goofiness and playfulness with the leaders? I use a lot of humor. I'm pretty lighthearted. I'm very direct in how I communicate with people. And I just really listen well. And if there's someone who's got a good sense of humor, I try to mirror it. If there's someone who really needs, has something interesting that they're appreciative as I get to know people or we have a, a shared hobby, I really make sure that I connect and, and talk about that. I pay attention to people and then use my own personality of, I have, you know, just being silly and being conversational. That's probably what people see first. One of the things that I have to watch out for is that I enjoy banter and I can get, I can derail a conversation pretty quickly. <laughs> and then let's talk about these three other things that have nothing to do with what we're talking about because it'll be so fun. Oh, wait, that's in the last 15 minutes have gone. And hang on, let's bring it back around. But what I do try to do is even the, the um, seemingly irrelevant to use that in a conversation. You know, if there's an energy around a topic, everybody, like let's take the holiday that was recent here in the US, whatever we're talking about, about holiday, if I hear something, oh, I just let our conversation run. What is the theme in that conversation that I can pick up and pull into a conversation that might help our, help our work? So I think the goofiness and the playfulness is just making use of what's there mm -hmm. in the room, using it on purpose and having, I mean, I just try to have a good time. One of the things that part of what's really important to me about why I wrote this book and why I think these fundamentals are so important 
is that I was so lucky early in my career that I worked with people I really enjoyed and we all worked really hard to have a good time together at work. Even though we were running huge resort spas and it was 24 hours, seven days a week with very high demanding guests and clients, but we had a great time. Mm -hmm. And my deep wish is that everybody gets to have that joyfulness of connection with other people because that's what work can be. It can be really, it can just be more fun. I just, I'm, I think you'd see it with me in that I'm pretty chatty. <laughs> and I just try to help lighten the mood so that people can be productive, so that their spirits are lifted and they get to offer their thoughts well. I saw one testimonial of a client of yours on your website and she highlighted this. Um, Laura is indeed listening with a capital L. And I thought, wow, that was pretty cool feedback. You know, the way you make sense of what has been said is, I think, something she she highlighted, how you pick up on subtleties and how other people literally feel you are really there with them and they are the only person in the room. She didn't write it quite like that, but mm -hmm. I, I remember I had this moment of, wow, that's really cool, in particular in this information-overloaded world. Thank you. And... I do think I do that really well. And I do it for, I do it to make my job easier because if I listen well, I can pay attention to the themes that are, to where the assumptions are, to where the expectations are that are not spoken in a, in a room. I can see where human strengths are being used well or being completely missed. And It's a way to pay attention to people. I, I have an affinity for it. And listening well is a way to be present for another person. It takes focus, but it doesn't take time. I think that's also a skill when we talk about leadership and how you can feel confident in your own ability, feel confident in your own sense of self is what are you really hearing and what do you want to do with that information? How might it be of use to others? How might it be of use to this project? And also you just learn more. If you listen well, you just, Hey, I didn't know that. That's kind of cool. And I think that's, I think that's fun too. I think the other thing about the goofiness or the playfulness, I just am really fascinated by people and I like to learn stuff. So I'm sort of a magpie with information. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, you're doing that? That's really cool. And it's just a way for people to feel like it's not just the work, that they get to be themselves. And so I listen on purpose to make sure that I pull people in so our work can be productive. That's, by the way, for me, the area where I often hear, I don't have time for this. I can't <laughs> listen all the time so actively. And I'm also convinced that this actually saves us time. Oh, <laughs> Absolutely. For all the reasons mentioned. And one reason that I would say is what happens, obviously, when you get distracted and you try to do too many things at the same time mm -hmm. while somebody is talking to you, mm -hmm. right? There are so many risks we we run and the risk is you miss out on so many crucial information and you need to get them again somewhere and somehow you need to set up another meeting or whatnot. How does it feel to the person 
to mm-hmm. notice you're so distracted? What yeah. does it do with the relationship? Right. right. And then the point you made, you actually go deeper. You get so many additional information. It may help you, may learn something and then can accelerate your process. And I always wonder why do we still not understand that it can give us time? It doesn't right. take time. It's a great question. And A, it hasn't been emphasized that it is important, truly. And I don't think we have, I think in general, the ability to 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 be still enough to listen, that requires some emotional presence and some tolerance to be still. And even though, I mean, and I say that I'm listening well and I'm facilitating a meeting and I'm running around, but to be still in the moment, I'm not thinking about the 27 things I'm going to do after I'm done talking to somebody or I'm not I'm just I'm with the per, with the person or people that I'm listening to. And I think that's a leadership that presence of moment is a leadership skill that is also something that can be well served by foundational skills of how do you want to behave? What questions do you want to ask? Are you really aware of what someone's saying or do you think you're aware of someone's what someone's saying? I don't think we spend enough time with helping people at work in any level know how to really pay attention. I I am with you. And I wonder what we could do to bring more awareness to this really important skill. Right. And to support your entire system as well. You could call it company culture. You uh, could call it a system of the organization, whatever it is, to establish that again as as a key skill, a driver of success. Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalog of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. Well, I think one of the ways that sometimes it can be alienating for people to say, let's talk about emotional presence at work or whatever it is we want to label that will drive off some people. So one of the things that how I frame it for people and what I did in my book, but also what I do with clients is I try to help them think about the questions they want to ask for themselves. I try to help them frame conversations through asking good questions and listening really well to the answers from a more tactical approach. So I'm sort of sneaky. (laughs) I'm going to teach you tactical tools so that you can be more fabulous, right? Um, But really asking, okay, why is this topic important? And not because we have to X. No, no. What's what's the bigger topic? Why does it matter to you? Why might it matter to somebody else? What do they need to know? And why do you care? Why are you opening your mouth to talk to somebody? What do you need to know? How are you going to use this information? And up ahead, if, if this conversation goes well, what do you hope will happen? If you can really, even those basic questions before 
people who think they don't have time to do stuff. Sometimes if you even just give that template to people to say, okay, what's the background? What do we need to know? How do we want to use it? And what do we hope for and what will happen up ahead? Even those questions help people shift. It it shifts their thinking when they approach a conversation, which can subtly help them think differently rather than, oh, this is too busy. I don't have time for this. Mm-hmm. Like, no, if you have to do this checklist, it helps you gain critical thinking about the people you're engaging with, about the task at hand, and actually helps you learn what you should know so you don't have to go back, so you don't have to have rework, so you don't have to have, well, I thought you said this. I never said that in my life. You know, it's just, there are some, the strategic tools that we think everybody knows, that's where we, that's where people blow by and confuse each other all the time. And I say it again, that's why it's so important to, you know, start off with the fundamentals. Yeah, It sounds so simple, but it isn't. It isn't. No. But at the same time, I often compare it to a good Italian meal. The best Italian dishes consist yeah. of like three, four ingredients, yes. maybe something 20 minutes, but the products the yes. that are being used are of high quality. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's communication for me. Yes. It's no rocket science, but we forget it and we overcomplicate it and we believe we need to focus on all these complexities instead of starting with those fundamental pieces. And the cooking analogy is a really great one because when like a simple pasta with four ingredients can change your life, right? (laughs) Like this is the best thing I've ever (laughs) eaten because of how it's presented, how it's, how it's just, attended to the attention paid and how each of those ingredients goes in can be transformative. Just like a real, a simple, a simple conversation at work, same thing. And you think about, there's two things that I want to pick up, pick up on on what you just said. We do get sort of attracted to feature creep, right? That what's the next new shiny thing we're supposed to have, right? Like what's the next bell and whistle in our leadership toolbox that we're supposed to be able to do when we can't, when we still don't know how to have a conversation with someone and our success, it might look great, but how does it feel? How are your relationships in that? And the relationships are built on the fundamental tools. Mm -hmm. And so that, that piece of just, maybe dial back a little bit on the new the new improved sexy thing this stuff is not sexy having a good conversation is fundamentally boring but but then when you add the magic of how it can happen between people that's what makes it wonderful and the second example of that not only like cooking but you hear about innovators or inventors or people who are doing really interesting things And there's always some origin story about I was having a conversation and there was a back of the napkin sketch. It wasn't, I was having a conversation. And then in my art studio, I did a 20 by 20 foot oil painting about (laughs) or whatever it might be. And then we rendered a 3D version of everything in, you know, in IMAX. That's not where it starts. (laughs) It starts with a simple drawing. It starts with a simple conversation that's had well. But that's not sexy. It's, your, it's really foundational. 
But that's, I mean, think about how, what would it be like if everybody just got really excellent at having direct conversations? Oh, right. Goodness me. I, I, I noticed I took a really deep breath and it was like, right? oh, wouldn't it go? Fantastic. Just like, oh, it's just like, yeah, you can feel your whole body relax. And it's, I think that's something that can be tricky is that things like learning how to cook pasta well, you see, you have the experience of then enjoying that meal and talking about it. For me, and I try to do this with clients, having a good conversation can feel as satisfying as having a good meal. Right. And like, gosh, that was really, that was really good. I feel seen. I feel heard. I know something at work. We're moving something along. Yeah, that was nice. That was really good. But we don't talk about it afterward generally, like we talk about going to a great restaurant. What if we did? Like, wow, I had the best conversation with my colleague today. It was just really satisfying. I know them more. And now we know how we're going to work together. Mm. Like you can feel, it feels instantly softer just even thinking about that. And again, it's not rocket science to do that, is it? It's wildly boring. It's <laughs> just. Come on, you call it blissfully boring. I do call it blissfully boring because think about it. Like we're talking about, and just you, you sort of, it is sort of blissful, right? If you really just took a moment and thought, what if I just had a really, really, lovely conversation about work or about whatever the topic is at hand with a colleague, with someone that you are in any type of relationship with, but where people really felt heard. And it doesn't have to be a long conversation. We're not discussing universal truth all Mm -hmm. the time, but what if it would just really worked? It is blissful. It's like, wow, that's lovely. It's blissfully boring. And I think that's one of the things that's tricky in the leadership and and management sphere is that we are expecting that we have, that there's something that we're missing. We're not missing anything. We're forgetting things. And we have to go back and get the stuff that is blissfully boring and just add it to what we're already doing. Of course, we want to learn and improve and grow, And if there's something that needs to be added, great, or developed, wonderful. I'm all for that. And if we just kind of go back and say, oh, but what would good conversation, what would good behavior, what would having a real connection to our character do for us to make things go better? We don't need to reinvent how we are with people. We just need to get better at the core things that make humanity work and remember that it's okay to want them. I think sometimes, and, and, and we spoke about that earlier on, it mm-hmm. is about remembering these core things. Yeah. And I think to the point, you know, when people feel alienated from their work, it's because we think we don't, we're not supposed to want them. I shouldn't have to feel great every day. I shouldn't have to apologize for poor behavior. I shouldn't have to You know, that's not what leaders do. Whatever the story is that culturally we're told how successful leaders behave, or we look around and we think that's what's going on in an organization, 
mostly I just want somebody, you know, to say, Hey, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. I'm going to go get to work. You know, like just being kind to one another is really important. And I've been really rubbish at that in my early and perhaps mm-hmm. mid career. I've been yeah. really rubbish. I was so mm-hmm. focused on delivering, driving forward, you mm-hmm. know, progressing. Um, I was caught up in my own world of getting stuff done. Not yeah. really reflecting upon is that the right stuff I'm getting done. Right. Let's make progress. Let's be perceived. Let's be perceived as the high performer, right? That was me. Yeah. And I had a strong network around me of a few people who knew me, who mm-hmm. ex- knew me very well. So I was vulnerable with them as well. And I could see through this persona. But there were others that didn't, right? And I didn't show it to them either. And then I had colleagues around me who had these in-between check-ins, these conversations. Mm -hmm. How are you really doing? People going to them with a big smile and wanting to connect with them and so on and so forth. And what did I say? I didn't think to myself, how do they do it? No, no, no. What did I say? Well, whoever has time for that all the time, I have things to do. Right. Now I know better. I know better now. <laughs> but that was me. Yeah. Well, it's 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 so common because the deliverable is the is how we are supposed to get status. And you know, I have this this idea that when you get the promotion, when you get the new job, we assume that like by the magical download of glory, we suddenly have a Oh, yeah, the, 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 the sounds happen and suddenly you you know how to be successful in your new endeavor, right? Like you've got the title, the skills must come with your business card sure. and that'd be great, but it doesn't happen. So we keep kind of faking it. Mm-hmm. And that thing of who has time for that, because you're trying to figure out how to keep going, right? And if you are a person who naturally is smart and interested in working and likes doing stuff, right? Likes to be productive, likes to be engaged, likes to meet goals. It can be a hard thing to consider that you can both do that and also work on your own development, feel in tune with yourself. And I think that's probably the biggest disservice that work cultures are now fortunately coming around to that it's not an either or we can get a lot of really cool stuff done but not at the expense of it doesn't have to be at the expense of our own humanity at our own personal satisfaction at our own personal sense of contribution and presence to ourselves but it's that's a big shift because it takes the emphasis off of the output and gears more to what is the manner in which we are producing something? What is, how do we feel while we are doing? How are we thinking about what we are doing? And when you include things like, am I displaying pride in my work? Am I being kind to my coworkers and myself? Am I being curious about how I communicate while I am doing <laughs> And achieving, that's a different, that's a very different mode than produce, achieve. Who cares how you get there? And it's not, it's not sexy, but it's really, really helpful, (laughs) you know? Well, I found it far sexier than the previous state. 
Because what happened, oh. and that comes back to that character, right? Really yes. understanding who you are. What is your character? What makes you feel good at work as well? Mm-hmm. Man, I didn't like myself. Full stop. That's not a cool place to be on so many levels. When you then, we are obviously social animals, right? Some more, yeah. some less, but we are born to be social, to be surrounded by other people, to support one another. And I think it when you then experience that again, on a larger or smaller scale, it doesn't really matter, but you feel this genuine support, this human behavior of connecting, of belonging. Yeah makes a huge difference to how you feel about yourself and others. Well, and when you have that clarity and how you feel about your work, when the, with the organizations that I go into, whether it's you know a large academic institution or a manufacturing company or a hotel or a software firm, whatever it is, everybody's got a value statement or something like it. Yeah. And often they've spent a lot of time and a lot of money getting it. And they write it down and they never look at it again. And one of the places where there can be a lot of a rub is when some people in an organization see it and use it and know it, but leaders often don't and don't know how to talk about the character traits, the values that are mentioned in the value statement. And when there is that disconnection, just like when you're like, this feels bad that we're running this company or we're in this organization that says one thing, we value integrity, we value pick pick a quality of character, but we don't behave that way. Or we're not consistent in thinking about it, even if it's not, even if we're not unintentionally, or even if not, we're not intentionally operating differently than what our values say, it feel it starts to feel bad. And it feels bad at a at a organizational level. But for what, as what you've just said, it starts to feel bad when you're operating in a way that goes against who you are, because you just don't take time to remember who you are and how you want to walk around in the world. And that value statement for you, that character piece, which is how I think of character, it's like, what are your values? And am I walking around holding them up? When you can have alignment and and I think about integrity as structural integrity like will it will it hold up like when you build a building or a bridge or does the, the integrity of how you're functioning does it feel good does it feel like yeah we are behaving and operating in a way that feels right and that I can navigate by and it feels like it feels like what we are how I want to walk around in the world I think that's true on a big scale in organizations. And I think this piece, what what you've just said, when you're not in alignment with what you value, it feels horrible. And we don't talk about it enough. We don't talk about the manner in which we do stuff, which is why I wanted to talk about character in general in the book. What, What are the things, how do you want to walk around in the world? What are your values? And in the US, we definitely don't talk about that at work because it goes, it's such a politicized word you know, value, you know, I'm living by my value. It tends to get, I'm, I'm a values driven person. It can get weaponized pretty quickly and it can become glib, but what is your character? Your character are your, is, is developed by enacting your values over time with consistency. So 
what do you want your character to be at work and how you communicate, how you are with the people you care about, how you are with the people you don't care about. But if we don't talk about it as a fundamental, it gets missed and then we feel bad. And actually, you mentioned before we hit the record button, the word self-doubt to me, mm-hmm. right? And actually, that's something that just popped up for me. feels a bit like a therapy session here on my own podcast. <laughs> um, but it was really like that when I became, or when I stepped more and more on this tension mm-hmm. of this isn't quite me. This doesn't yeah. feel good. I couldn't put my hand on it or my finger on it because I've been living this mask, this persona for such a long time, right? I always describe it as this massive wall that I have built around me. What I actually had a lot was self-doubt. Yeah. How are you being wrong? How are other people showing up better? How are you not being enough? Mm-hmm. And that lack of enoughness mm-hmm. then drove me to do more and get more yeah. into this downward spiral. Yeah. Yeah. So it can be quite toxic, a toxic place to be there until someone is hopefully either shaking you up, being a perfect or a lovely role model to help you, holding up the mirror. You have a chance to be taken out, whatever it is. And I mean, taken out of that system for yeah, a little bit. Absolutely. So you see something yeah. different and experience something differently, right? Um, there are different ways how you can get there. But I think it was really important for me to have this cut at a certain point where I know this is not working anymore. Something is clearly too off. Well, what you've just said, that thing of self-doubt, and then I'm thinking also, the those are all links into perfectionism. And in our performance-based culture, perform, 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 and hope you're doing it right. But am I doing it right without feedback, without communication, without checking in with yourself? how I want to, you know, how do you individually want to feel while you're doing, while you're achieving? That's not a question that we teach people to ask. And that self-doubt, so I don't know if I'm doing it right, so I'm just going to keep going. And I, so I live in Boston, Massachusetts. I've been in the academic world for a long time. And I've done a lot of work with Ivy League institutions. And that the performance and the accuracy, I love, there's an, there's an element of academic rigor that I just love. I love it. I love the intellectual breadth. I love the fascination with ideas. But the performance of have you checked all your references about everything all the time can be really, really stressful. And that was something that I had to, for myself in thinking about this, like how important is that really to me in a daily basis? Because I was just worried about it all the time. And for me to be able to say, what, what in the work that I'm doing, how can I be intellectually curious? How I can, how can I still be present but not be filled with self-doubt when I engage with people who are absolutely brilliant academics? What's the way that I can show up with them but still feel very much like myself? How can I, because I was trying to perform in ways that didn't feel right to me as far as things like, okay, I have to get it right. I have to just do more. I have to do more research. I have to do all. Just as you're saying, when you're build the wall, but is that really you? For me, I needed to be able to be really curious and deeply listen and supportive of the people I was listening with and engaging with but not worrying about 
impressing them. I had to take that element out of how I operated because that felt more like me. I I do better when I can pull them out and help them feel lighthearted. That allows me to still achieve and engage and be productive without the self-doubt of, am I doing enough? But I had to go and reflect on my character and how I wanted to walk around in the world in order to be able to do that. Because it felt horrible to not. And at the same time, that brings a risk. And that oh. risk might be that not everybody might like your character. Right. Right? Yeah. Which is, from my perspective, unrealistic anyway, that you are going to be liked by each and everyone in this massive world. Yeah. That's a tough thing to achieve. However, still, and that comes perhaps back to those fundamental behaviors and manners. Yep. Even though not everybody will agree with who we are, mm -hmm. we can still demonstrate those fundamental manners and behaviors. That's right. Respect, curiosity, listening. Mm-hmm. Right, not being a jackass, as you wrote not, it. So yes, nice exactly. <laughs> and the, the absolute the, the big one for me is not being a jackass. Those fundamental things, they're really important. Listening, curiosity. I actually had a a, a person in a in a workshop once successfully man he, he this he so needed to be in charge of the of the session. He managed to weaponize the 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 word curiosity. Well, I'm being curious, and then he'd start. <laughs> launching the Spanish Inquisition on the whole group was hilarious. I'm like, wow, that's one way to do it. But anyway, <laughs> and which was also yeah, to that point, I was not his cup of tea. He was not, he was my character and my approach was not for him. And that's okay. But in that, one of the fundamental things, and as that, <laughs> that weaponization of curiosity might be example, an example One of the things that I think we miss the mark on in organizations is that we don't tell people what we don't want them to do. And one of the things we don't ever want somebody to be is a jackass at work. And we almost never explicitly say that in whatever language is important. But all the things that leaders are expected to do, all the things that managers are expected to do, you have to you know hit all your numbers, deliver all the results, be strong, be powerful, be compassionate, be all this thing. That's a lot. But we don't say, and by the way, never do this one thing. Just never be a jackass. And how I define that is people who are rude, obtuse, harmful, and disinterested in anyone other than themselves. We do a disservice by just letting people know that it's okay not to be that way. And that it's an expectation that we aren't. And we overcomplicate the stuff that we try to tell people that they have to do by just saying, and remember, have good manners, say please and thank you, communicate clearly, and by the way, don't be a jackass. And I think to the point, too, of what you were saying about you, we think we have to behave in a, in a certain way. I think there's an aggressive aspect of jackassery that we often think we have to demonstrate to be successful. And we don't. That doesn't mean we're a doormat. That doesn't mean we are you know, just let people, you know, take advantage of our kindness or our disposition. That's not it. But we don't have to be disinterested. We don't have to say, oh, I don't have time for that. We don't have to eliminate the humanity from one of the fundamentals of how we interact. Just don't be a jackass. It's all right. 
I'm 100% with you, you know, and yet yeah. I've experienced a few jackasses in my life. Oh, yeah, they're everywhere. I've probably <laughs> been described as such at some point or the other. Mm-hmm. Oh, me too. Um, and often I think, why do they need to be a jackass? I call it the jerk quite often in yeah. my sessions. Um, why do they need to be like that? And I wonder quite often what insecurities lie underneath. Mm-hmm. How, is there any other way that I have learned to gain power over right. the situation, exactly. for example? Often that's for me the, the key driver. I need to demonstrate that I'm in charge here. Yeah. But again, you don't have to be a jackass, do you? No, you don't have to. I think what well, comes back to that self-doubt doubt piece, self-doubt, insecurity, bravado will get you a long way if you just lean into it which also can be you end up being a jerk or being or neglecting the people around you and sometimes just by momentum or circumstance personality time of year it's the holidays um whatever that may be everybody's gonna be a jerk at some point it's okay but is it a theme of how you walk around in the world when you are, you can say, and this is something else in, that's a fundamental about how we need to be at work. If you're a jerk to somebody, apologize. You know, it's okay to be insecure, to be full of self-doubt, to behave badly in a moment. If it's, a, you know, that happens, we all misstep. But we think that that's, it, it also gets made very um, bravado and bombast are sort of sold as the cool thing in yeah. popular culture. And that's how business gets done. And, oh, it's so, that's boring. That's not blissful. That's just boring. Because it is hurtful. It's hurtful to ourselves and how we feel about how we get things done. It's hurtful to our colleagues. It's hurtful to our relationship. And it's not necessary. Like, you don't have to do it. You can be delightful and clear and direct and and everyone can have a good time. I think that's the other thing too, is that I, I'm so, it's my hope. I would really love it if everybody got to have a better time at work. Chances are you work with interesting people who are smart about something, maybe not about everything, but people who are interested and interesting and who have something to offer and you can just enjoy them. Wouldn't it be lovely if we just all enjoyed each other a little bit more? If it wasn't a struggle or it was less of less of a toil. And I think when we go back to foundational behaviors, it can slow us down and we don't have to lean on the bombast and the jerk qualities as much as we think we do. But isn't it also a question that you do ask in your work? What if somebody is annoying? Which we can all be, right, from time to time. Oh, absolutely. I've got, I'm working with a client right now who has a leadership member who uses the jerk behavior loudly and often. So now we're getting curious about why. Do they know that that it's hurtful? Sometimes people don't know. They really don't know. And they don't know that they can do it another way. Because being overtly domineering or crude or unhelpfully directive, loud, cursing, whatever whatever it is that the the flare-ups of, of reaction, whatever that may be, they don't know that they don't have to do it that way. And so 
right now, part of what I'm doing with that leadership team is how can we help this person? Do they know that they don't have to do that? And see if they want to course correct. And then we'll see what happens with that. But if you don't have the the conversational chops in the fundamental place of how do we want to treat each other? How do we want to communicate? Why is this important? What is our what of what is our character as an organization? If you don't have those things in place, it makes having those conversations so much harder because then you have to get into the okay, now we have to have a difficult, challenging conversation with somebody. And it's it's really hard because you haven't practiced on the easy stuff. I'm a really strong proponent of do the easy conversations first. Have delightful, lovely, meaningful conversation all day long, every day about stuff that feels inconsequential. Because then you are prepared when things that are difficult emerge. You have more confidence. Like, oh, okay, I could, I know that manners are important. I know what our values are as an organization. I know how to ask a good question. I know how to course correct and ask people if they know that this is something that we value or don't. And then I can go talk about something that is difficult with greater confidence, with greater capacity, with with a more centered approach. And you don't have to make it up on the fly. And so often in communication, when I get called into doing things too, everything's sort of on fire because nobody's had the easy conversations all along. And then it's difficult. Mm -hmm. And then we have to go back and lay the foundational work so that we can, can deal with the person who is a jerk or the situation that has become deeply problematic because we haven't done the easy stuff all along because it's boring <laughs> and we think we don't need to. And why do I have to spend time on that? It is at some point it could send you a, save you a lot of time and money. Exactly. I was just about to say that that brings us back full circle to this initial conversation we had about these, these human conversations and, yeah. and I was thinking, I was shaking my head. You can't see that, obviously, as listeners at the moment. <laughs> but I was shaking my head. And I was thinking of a situation that that I have that I've heard about. I didn't experience <laughs> it. But a manager, fairly genius in her role, came to me and she said, oh, I have a team member I need to talk to, but I don't know how. Okay, what's the situation? Well, he's behaving very disrespectfully towards the team, towards me as well. And mm-hmm. it becomes very disruptive. So to cut a long story short... It has been happening for the last three months. Probationary period in that country was two weeks. Um, apart from that, obviously, the the question was, so what have you been talking about so far? What were the conversations you've had? Uh, not really. He had his onboarding and then he stepped into the role and, and that was it. All right. So any psychological contract, as you could call it as well, what are your expectations? Huh? What are mine? How do we behave with no. each other? All of this stuff. No, we haven't talked about this. So, you know, we need resources as a person. Come in, do your work as quickly as possible. Focus. Oh, he behaves badly, not in front of everybody. I'm currently losing my face in front of the team because I'm not stepping in as well. Yes. And now the whole conversation or the situation has become so big, mentally so big, heavy, this massive dark cloud 
that yeah. this person is literally trying to escape, fight or flight to get out of this chat as soon as possible that needs yep. to happen. But even when the situation happens or the conversation happens, but I said, you don't know what's going to happen. There are no immediate risk, immediate risk for this person. There are right. no incentives right away to change because it has worked for the last few months. You can't really terminate my contract. What do you want from me? Yeah. Well, you set a precedence right, right away there. It's interesting. Absolutely. And it's so interesting. I was just I was just writing about some onboarding things for another company. Mm. And they're like, well, how do we basically control the the onboarding experience for somebody so that they're successful when they come in? And what do we need them to do? And how do we need, you know, let's make sure that they jump all the so that we know that they're there and basically all the the superfluous stuff that is important. I'm not, I don't mean to demean that. But what I was talking about was have you done the audit of what you expect of yourselves first? You don't hire somebody and go, I can't wait for you to come into our company and totally mess it up. Like <laughs> I can't wait for you to be a total pain in my butt. You don't do that. Like no. you hire people hoping that they're going to be wildly successful and a huge contribution. But too often people don't say, what are we going to do when this person's behavior is not what we expect? What's the first step? because we're afraid and we don't have a lot of confidence in direct co communication, we're scared. And rather than saying, hey, I heard that you said this thing the other day, or I noticed your behavior in this meeting, what's going on? Did you know that that's not acceptable? Did you know that there's another way to do it? And actually how, what we recommend is X, are you willing to do that? It's a yes, no question. If they aren't, why not? But if they're like, no, that's not for me, I'll never do that, then they're a bad fit for the organization. Yeah. But that takes courage, it takes clarity, and really fundamental expectational uh, awareness within the organization about how you want to communicate and deal with people when they're jerks. And if you have the solid foundation, what you value, how you want to talk about things, how you want to behave with one another as humans, it makes everything so much easier. But then there's no drama, and sometimes people miss that. So, <laughs> and then it would just be blissfully challenging all the time. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I, yeah. And then we just actually have more fun at work. What would that be like? Oh my goodness! No. What? Come on. Fun. Give us some drama. Yeah, the juicy drama. <laughs> Laura, I mean, you couldn't have summarized it better. And it is a wonderful way to finish our conversation today. That was literally, for me at least, flying by. Laura, I want people to dive into your book and to learn more about those fundamentals you are talking about and how to avoid checkersness, if that's even a word. It is um, now. Yeah. <laughs> it is now. Here we go. Where can people find you, find out more about you and your book? I would recommend that everyone go to workingwithhumans.com. That's where you can find the book. It's available on through all of the places that you that you find books. And um, that's where you can also find out about me at lauracrandall.com. But go to workingwithhumans.com, find the book, find some resources. There's tons of information there. And I just, I hope it can be helpful to everyone so we can have a better time at work. And Kathleen, thank you so much for having me on the show today. I really appreciate it and loved our conversation. Yeah, me too. And thank you for joining me today. 
um, and for being so blissfully non-boring actually <laughs> thank you <laughs> i appreciate that and here's my final task for all the listeners I want you to think about some of the jackasses that you have around um, in your workspace, in your personal space, and how you are going to hold them accountable to help them become less of a jackass or, in, in my terms, jerk. I'm really curious about it. What is working? What's not working, perhaps? What do you need more support with? Let us know. And with those kind words, I'm going to send you into your festive holidays and say thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you again, Laura. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Kathleen. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Perhaps you have some ideas for additional topics, something that you're truly curious about. Please do leave your review on Apple Podcasts as well. It would mean the world to us. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Take good care. Bye.